we have a lot to do today, and I have a team to help me during part, part of this, but I want to start with the story of Martin Luther. Now, if you don't know your history, you need to know this isn't Martin Luther King Jr. This is Martin Luther, a, a, a reformer. But he wasn't born a reformer. He was born in the 16th century, that's the 1500s. He was born about 120 miles southwest of Berlin, and he was set on a life studying law. That was his family business, and he was so sharp and so logical and so brilliant in school that they called him, the other kids called him the philosopher. As a young man, even in his early 20s, he'd already earned all kinds of degrees, and he was walking along the road contemplating life and religion and God and meaning when he was caught in a horrible storm. Lightning crashed all around him, and then lightning crashed almost right beside him, and he called out and swore, saying, if you let me live, I'll become a monk. And he lived, so he did. And he pursued his, his uh, studies as a monk just as, as hard as he'd given his earlier studies. He excelled in all ways, but he found out something. No matter how much he put himself through, and by studies, denying himself, even beating himself to humble himself. No matter what he did, he still had sin. No matter what he did, he still didn't wake up one day with it being easy. It always was a struggle, and he feared no matter what he had done and how much he worked on it, he would be damned eternally. And then he found the book of Romans and this verse. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now take a look at that middle section, a righteousness that is by faith. It was the first time that ever hit him, because before that time, the church had always taught righteousness comes by a couple of different ways. One, your works and your works have to be righteous. And two, through the sacraments, you had to be connected to the church in such a way that the grace of God could continually top you off and make you holy and make you saved. But reading this verse, he realized he had life eternal because he had faith. It was faith that is the victory. He, not because he had see, achieved sinless perfection. Anybody in here achieved sinless perfection? Anybody? Anybody? If you raise your hand, it's a trap. Uh, it's a trap. Don't, don't raise your hand. No, we've not achieved it. It's faith that brings us to God. Faith changes everything. Salvation does not come through the sacraments, although the sacraments are very, very important. I believe we have three that were left to us. We have baptism. We have the table. And we have the gathering. And I believe they're all desperately important. Baptism, you've, you've seen all three today. Isn't that fun? Baptism is our connection to Christ. We are buried with him, Romans chapter 6. Raised with him to live, to walk eternally with Jesus Christ and to live that life of faith in Christ. At the table, we declare our faith in Christ. In the gathering, we strengthen our faith in Christ. And Mark, I know exactly how you feel. I've, I've, I was watching your face at a particular point because I know that face. I have that face a lot. And that um, 
there are times I need to stop and hear them sing. Because there are times that my faith bobbles a bit. And in the gathering, it strengthens. In the gathering, I can hear your faith. And if you're thinking, what happens if my faith bobbles? Here's the good thing. All of us aren't going to bobble on the same day. So we gather for those times. It's rather like people are always, you know, the financial end of the world. You know, and, and they'll say, I don't put my money in mutual funds or something because of the end of the world, you know, the, the collapse of all. If you're in a mutual fund, let's say, that's in 500, 600 companies, which most of them are, if all of those go down, you're going down anyway. You know, it's, uh, all of us aren't going to go down at the same time. So we gather. We have our good days. We have our bad days. As Ecclesiastes tells us, you know, we're, we're not alone. If you're alone, you fall into the ditch. You're in the ditch. But if you've got somebody there, they can pull you out of the ditch. So the sacraments are very, very important. But salvation is through faith in Christ. Christ is the Son of God. And I love the way you phrased it when you ask her, is there anything that was supposed to be said? And she said that Jesus is the Son of God. She got it. She's read Acts 8. She knows her Bible. And she's ready. You've done a good job there. And we're proud of, of our new sister in Christ, too. This, is, this book that Martin Luther found drove him forward to become a reformer, a reformer of faith, a reformer of the church. Now, he died, a lot of people don't know this, he died still a Roman Catholic priest, and he died in those robes. But he had been excommunicated I don't know how many times. It was basically like, you know, you can excommunicate me, but I'm not leaving. I'm still a man of faith. And, I'm, and he, would, he would tell them, you've got to walk away from all this extra stuff and embrace the faith. Romans was his book. He said if he only had this one book, he could find his way to heaven. And as I've said before and several times, uh, I agree with him, but I'm a greedy sort of individual. I'd like to have at least the book of John and the book of Hebrews too. And maybe even the book of Psalms so I could complain in a scriptural way. <laughs> but here's, here's the pattern of the book. And it's all in chapter 3. Let's put that up if we've got that. The problem of sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I'm going to put a pause here, if I may. I'm going to go off notes and I, because this just happened today. This is an excerpt of an article in The Guardian, UK. The Guardian is a, uh, a left-leaning, well, it's not leaning, it's all the way over there, newspaper in, in Great Britain. It's rather like the Washington Post or New York Times. You know what you're reading when you read it. Well, The Guardian had an editorial today by an atheist that I thought was stunning in its honesty when it said, let's not pretend that atheism is not also a leap of faith, and that we as atheists are somehow superior to those who take a leap of faith in religion. He says, she says, uh, she's um, an African uh, lady. I cannot pronounce her name. I wish I could. Uh, it's, it's an African name, and I don't want to butcher it. So I just direct you to my Facebook page. There's a link there to it. Atheism as a faith is quickly catching up in, in its embrace of divisive and oppressive attitudes. We, atheists, 
have websites dedicated to insulting Islam and Christianity. We have famous atheist thought leaders spouting misogyny and calling for the profiling of Muslims. As a black atheist, I encounter just as much racism among other atheists as anywhere else. We have hundreds of thousands of atheists blindly following atheist leaders like Richard Dawkins, hurling insults and even threats at those who dare question them. Look through new atheist websites and Twitter feeds. You'll find the same hatred and bigotry that theists have been spouting against other theists for millennia. But when confronted about this bigotry, we say, but I feel this way about all religion, as if that somehow makes it better. But our belief that we are right while everyone else is wrong, our belief that our atheism is more moral, our belief that others are lost, none of it's original. Maybe this isn't religion, but human nature. Perhaps when left to our own devices, we jockey for power by creating an other and rallying against it. Perhaps we're all part of a system that creates hierarchies based on class, gender, race, and ethnicity because it's the easiest way for the few to overpower the many. That's a powerful phrase there. Perhaps we all fall in line because we look for any social system, be it Christianity, Islam, socialism, atheism, to make sense of it all and to feel like we matter in a world that shows time and time again that we don't. Faith is not the enemy. And words in a book are not responsible for the atrocities we commit as human beings. We need to constantly examine and expose our nature as pack animals who are constantly trying to define the other in order to feel safe through all the systems we build in society. Romans 3, 23. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And when even atheists recognize that their atheism did not make them better people, then we're able to move to the solution, which is also Romans 3, 24. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And here I have to talk to this group because the word justified means something to some of us which you did not get to experience, and that's fine. <laughs> it was a pain. It used to be when you wrote a book or you wrote a paper, one side was straight, because that's where the typewriter went back to. I'm not explaining typewriters. <laughs> but when you got to this side, it was ragged, a ragged end. And so after you typed it, you had to go back, or you, as you typed it, you filled in those ends with slashes. And then you would count them. And when you went back, you had to insert that many spaces to make the line straight, justified. It was a royal pain. There were no computers to do it. I remember the first time I had a computer, that it, uh, the drop-down menu asked me if I wanted to justify my paper. And I was thinking, well, that's insulting. Um, <laughs> The, the computer, my Commodore VIC-20, is telling me that my paper needs help. I went ahead and clicked it just to see what the pagan thing would do, and it straightened it. And I went, ha, oh, ha, ha, this is fantastic. By faith, God takes care of our ragged edges. By faith, he makes us straight. By faith, we have the victory, not by our own efforts but by faith. The problem was sin. The solution 
is Jesus. And the means to salvation? Well, that's also in Romans chapter 3, 25 and 26. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. That's why we gathered around the tables. To be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so it to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. If you don't follow it, understand this. Here's the mechanism. God sent Jesus down because there was sin and it was awful and it needed to be dealt with. His resurrection shows us that the power of sin is nothing compared to the righteousness of God and that his love will make it right. Yesterday, I went to a birthday party. It was my uh, grandson's four-year, fourth birthday party, which his birthday was a week or so ago, but people today schedule these things. So I went, and they, they had all kinds of games and the like, and they had, he had a bunch of friends come over. And frankly, just to be honest, I know this won't be on the internet or anything, uh, all of those other kids were brats. They were ill-behaved, greedy, loud, sticky. A little sticky, I noticed. <laughs> now, Finn was, was wonderful. I don't know how he stands those people. I really don't. I, I feel for him now, going to preschool amongst his lessers. We all understand what's going on here. Do we know it? The love of a grandfather justifies well, then can't we understand that the love of God justifies us? Why do I love Fenn? Because he loves me. What about those other kids, whoever they were? <laughs> they didn't run up and hug me. They're on their own. Do you love God? Do you have faith in God? Guess what? He loves you back. And his righteousness is so great, he sees you through those eyes of love. It's also here that we find out what it means to walk by faith and find salvation even when we're not perfect. And I've asked this group to read a section of Romans that is my life, and I bet it's your life too. Would you please do the reading from Romans, starting at Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. And what I do... For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, but I have the desire to do what is good but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, 
I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live in accordance to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not love the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But in Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of you, the Spirit lives in life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who indeed desires from the dead is living in you, for who calls Christ from the dead will also give life to your Mortal. According? Yeah, there you are. Uh, Can you see it up there easier? Uh, to your mortal bodies. Mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. There you go. You got it. <laughs> Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and to heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. Thank you, team. If you guys, you can sit right where you are. Um, this is the splash zone if I spit, um, but, or you can go back with your, but thank you, Lauren, for assembling the team, and thank you, team, for reading for us. We appreciate that. What does it all mean? By the way, yes, it's a long reading. Uh, you really need to, to not 
worry about things like that. I remember in Scottish churches, you have two pulpits. One has the Old Testament open, one has the New Testament open. And every year, you will read through the entire Bible aloud during worship. Yeah, we're all looking forward to that First Chronicles. That's ours, yes. <laughs> but did you hear that? We have a story, and this is our song. We're helpless in our sins. We say, we want to do right, and we end up not doing right. And we say, I'll never do that again, and we end up doing it. But it doesn't mean that we don't try. And it doesn't mean that we don't say, I don't want to sin anymore. I'm going to try not to sin anymore. It doesn't mean that we just give sin a cute name. Instead of adultery, we say it's a fling, it's an affair. You know, we had a relationship. No, we, we call things what they are. It's a sin. And we don't approve of it. We can't accept it. And Paul speaks here with some real pain in his voice to say, this is still my story too. I'm still struggling with this. And by the way, he, he wrote it at the same time people in Corinth were actually attacking him for being a sinner. And Paul saying, yes, I am, but I'm still saved. Without Jesus, we're without hope. How can we undo what we've done? I mean, maybe you can return something you stole. Maybe you can ask forgiveness for slander that you've made. But how can you make it right? Stories told, I'm sure it's just a preacher's story, which means it didn't happen, but it's a good illustration. Of a person that comes to another and says, I have slandered you, I have sullied your reputation, I have told lies about you, and it's come to me that what I've done is wrong, and my heart is broken. I, I will do anything to make this right. The man said, well, get a pillowcase full of feathers and meet me on top of this hill. All right, so he did. And he said, now let the feathers loose. He shook them all out in the wind. And he says, now meet me here tomorrow. They met again tomorrow. He said, go get the feathers. You can't. Once we've released evil into the, into the universe, we can't do anything about it. We need somebody bigger than the universe to fix the universe. We need somebody bigger than us to fix us. And the problem that the atheists are finding out that they've got too is they thought, we'll get away from all that religion stuff and all of us smart people. Richard Dawkins says that they should call themselves the brights rather than atheists because they're the bright ones. And we'll just put our heads together and we'll fix this. And they're finding out when we get together, we're a mess. And as individuals, we're a mess. Now what do we do? That's the problem in Romans but he can fix it. Do you remember Romans 8? It was read to you. Therefore, now when there's a therefore, you always check what it's there for. And before it was, we're a mess. There is now, wait a minute, we're a mess. RMS, it's a present tense. Therefore, there is, present tense, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're with him, you're not condemned. Why? Because he sees you as his child. He sees you as his brother. He sees you as family. And you see family differently. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Everybody, do we agree with this? That we know the Bible, but our flesh makes it hard to actually live what we know? God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now stop right there. Does that mean that we're perfect now? No, it means we're not comfortable with the sin. We know it's there, we accept that it's there, but we do not accept that that's the rest of our life. We're working hard to get the sin out of us. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. What does God want out of this exchange? What does God want in this day? What does God want for me? And so we meet him in the gathering. We meet him at the table. We meet him in the baptism. He knows we are dust. I love Psalm 103, 13 and 14. And again, look at the theme. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are dust. God does not expect perfection from us because we're not perfect. Whenever I'm around my grandkids, I don't expect perfection. I expect them to be kids. And we let them be kids, and the boys are boys. And the little girl thinks she's the princess of the world, which she is, but she also believes that comes with authority. <laughs> but we love them, and our love casts a blanket of protection over them because we know who they are. We don't shrug at sin, but we rejoice that there is someone greater than the universe to heal our universe. We've got him. We also have the power, like we said two weeks ago, and I hope you've been practicing, to learn how to say no to the universe. Look at Romans 8, selection of verses here. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. They've just got this tunnel vision. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind, is governed, by, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the, by the way, because of righteousness, whose righteousness? Do you remember? His. I'm not saved because I'm perfect. I'm saved because he is. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. I'm saved. I know that not because I am good, but because he doesn't lie and he says we're saved. And so we live with that assurance. We live with that strength. Our obligation is now, according to Acts, I'm sorry, Romans 8, verse 12, to bring Jesus to the flesh. Let me explain what I mean by that and what Paul meant by that. When I was a boy, I was taught that if you live very, very good and you do everything the church told you to do and you did it perfectly, and when you didn't, that you said you, you quickly repented in prayer, that one day when you died, 
you could go to heaven. But the book of Romans tells us, don't wait. Bring heaven now. Because of that attitude we had before, we told slaves to be patient, that one day they would be in glory too. We told others, we didn't, didn't try to fix anything because it'll be fixed in heaven. When Jesus told us, go to work now. Fix it now. The slave is your brother now. Women are free now. The poor are to be fed and taken care of now. Bring the heaven into the here and now. Because your righteousness comes from God and it's already here. Your eternal life is already here. Heaven is already here. Practice it. That's very hard to do if you're like me. And if you are, God have mercy on your soul. But if you're like me, it's a real struggle to remember, I'm not supposed to bring me into this equation. I'm supposed to bring heaven into this. No matter what's going on, I'm not to answer back with me, but with heaven. God has saved us. And he's even given us a leash law for the mind. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's your leash law. That's the fence. Stay in the yard. And I, I listen, I feel God a lot going uh, on, the, on the leash because I'm about to say something and it'll say, whatever is true. And I'm going, it might not be, but it's certainly an opinion. <laughs> and whatever is admirable, I wasn't thinking admirably about the person that I wanted to die. Um, I now need them to be blessed as they die. No, blessed and do well. It's a struggle, is it not? But we need the leash law of God because only by faith can we get to 1 John. These are the last scriptures I read. I know I've gone a bit long, but I missed you last week. I'm saving up. I lied to Mark. I told him, I'll shave a few minutes off. I didn't mean today. Uh, it could... Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. Wait, do you feel like Jesus? But to God, you're like Jesus. He sees Jesus in you. He sees a family resemblance. When a baby's born, what do we do? We immediately, who does it look like? Who does it look like? Which is not fair, because when they come out, they're all kind of purple and wrinkly. 
And then they all go through that Uncle Fester moment. <laughs> and then the features begin to align, and we keep watching them. Oh, I think I see them. And oh, I think, what are we doing? The same thing God does with us. He's watching you through the day to look for the family resemblance. There is no fear in love, people. No fear. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Did you catch that? You're not going to be punished. Stop being afraid. Fear is linked to punishment. The punishment's been removed. Don't be afraid anymore. But you can't get to 1 John till you go through Romans. The problem is sin. The solution is Jesus. And God is our righteousness. Would you stand and I'll let the team come back up. And we'll enjoy our 47 seconds of conversation before classes start. I don't know. I can't see the clock. We are sinners, yes. But we are sinners saved for righteousness' sake. Not by our righteousness, but by his. We live by faith. And it is our calling to change this world one act of love at a time until the family resemblance of Jesus shines all over this world. Amen, church?